Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. My name is Sam Bruce. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back in the chair again this week. Uh, while we haven't had any rugby on the field for uh, the best part of two and a half weeks now, um, there's been loads and loads and loads going on off the field. Uh, and it's great to be joined by Liam Napier. Uh, mate, sorry you've now joined us in lockdown there across the Tasman. That's a good, mate. You know, it's sympathy... Just, just wanting to, you know, lift your spirits and, uh, you know, share mutual uh, isolation. Safety and lockdown numbers. Uh, and of course, Christy Doran is back with us as well. He's uh, enjoying the fresh air of Sydney or as much as he can in your one hour a day of uh, exercise. Uh, he's cleared quarantine after the Tokyo Olympia, Olympics, mate. Uh, how's it feel to be on the outside again? Well, it's lockdown's never been as easy. Um, that's for sure, but it's uh, sympathies to you, Liam. We, we look up to Queensland with a fair bit of envy at the moment. <laughs> and it's uh, astonishing to think that the world is operating as per usual up there and, and uh, Victoria, New Zealand, New South Wales in a you know, fair bit of pain and anguish right across the state. So anyway, carry on. More time to talk rugby. Absolutely. You can imagine how uh, good the Prince of Ballymore, Jimmy Tucker and uh, a panellist of ours throughout the year is feeling about the next month up in Queensland. Um, okay, boys, let's get cracking. Uh, let's start with the announcement yesterday. Uh, welcome to the era of Super Rugby Pacific. Um, I think uh, we all thought this was probably going to get done. The news certainly was reported um, out of the New Zealand Herald last week and confirmed around the grounds. Um, Andy Marinos saying things were close last week and speaking with the media. Rubber stamped on Monday. We've got a 12-team, uh, 15-week regular season uh, with three weeks of finals competition starting on February 18 next year. Moana Pacifica and Fiji and Drua 100% uh, confirmed, greenlit for next year, which is fantastic. Liam, I'll start with you. Um, I think we all have for a long time wondered what the Super Rugby Trans-Tasman with a bit of Pacific flavour competition would look like. We finally got it. Um, your immediate reaction to seeing things uh, signed off yesterday and just general thoughts on, on the competition structure. I guess on the competition as a whole, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. It makes sense from a large perspective, doesn't it? And in, in the current climate with COVID and, and you know, uh, moving away from South Africa and Argentina and, and Japan and those long haul trips and, and you know, expensive travel and, and all the rest of us to, to isolate within the the uh, Pacific Basin, so to speak, with the, with the view of potentially expanding, you know, into Japan longer term. But uh, look, from from where they've arrived, I think there's been a fair bit of, of compromise and concessions from from both parties. I don't think it's perfect format or um, or competition just yet, but it is a, it is a start. And, uh, you know, things like the, the 18 finals format, I don't think they've quite got that right. You know, uh, 12 teams into eight doesn't scream the elite of the elite, does it? So, you know, whether that evolves over time, perhaps. But I do like the fact that it's straight knockout, you know, that's going to create a bit of intrigue there over that three-week period. Um, I, I really like the fact that it's round robin. Uh, you know, one of the problems with the, with the previous uh, editions of Super Rugby was it became too bloated and too confusing with too many conferences and tables and you know so hard to follow so I like the fact that it's round robin and so you, you know they, they have got a lot right but it's very evident that there's been concessions made on both sides and I guess that's a a, a positive given you know the strange strange trans-Hasman relations that we've seen in recent times. Christy simplicity is certainly the big one with this uh, big complaint with the 
certainly with the expansion to, to Super um, 15 or Super Rugby with the 15 teams, um, three conference format, and then when we went up into Asia with the Sunwolves and um, the Jaguars coming in as much as a, you know, a nice, unique South American flavour they added, um, people just couldn't get their heads around who was playing who, why this team was in the finals, why this one wasn't. Um, unless you actually were invested and worked in the game like we do. It was just incredibly hard to, to follow the machinations of the tournament. Um, what's the value of simplicity with this one? And just uh, what's your take then on Australia not getting the conference system that they wanted, but uh, clearly getting that, uh, that eight teams, eight team final series, um, which no doubt, well, should guarantee at least one or two teams from Australia, uh, touch wood, will qualify uh, for the finals, which is such a big thing for broadcasters, isn't it? Yeah, there's a bit in that, isn't there? And a bit to um, <laughs> unpack as well. I think with the, the simplicity, that was obviously it was um, something that had been quite a painful exercise and it involved also with the culling of, of various teams around the point in time that we had um, 18 teams moving down to 15 to 14. Um, it's, it's funny that Andy Marinos, who was CEO at the time, uh, yes, he inherited a fair bit of that, but he was CEO of the time of Sansa, who's now the Rugby Australia CEO. The, the simplicity just helps from, from the casual supporter. Uh, and that's a big thing because the casual supporter has been lost in Australian rugby, maybe some across the ditch too. And there's certainly been a lot that have been frustrated um, across the Tasman, I suggest. The fact that other teams, and I recall back in, I think it was 2016, the Brumbies qualifying um, when, when, when they had less points than a couple of the New Zealand teams, they were hosting finals. Uh, it was a bit of a shambles, that's for sure. <laughs> the, the concessions that, that, that we speak of at the moment and it probably should be expanded upon slightly is that um, yes, probably eight teams has favoured Australia. Yes, they probably would have pushed for that because there's a possibility that not one Australian team could have made the finals and that would have been the laughing stock of the ages if there hasn't been enough pain throughout Bledisloe disappointments. But I think also those concessions are the fact that Australia still has five super rugby teams. You know, they're, they're, let's, not, let's not forget that New Zealand asked for two uh, possibly three Steve hands and reigniting the, it by a couple of or a good week ago by saying that they should only be three. Um, that it's impacted uh, Australian rugby's performance from an international stage, and even people like Steve Boyle is jumping on the back of that, going, "Look, this is no one wants to hear this. No, no one wants to hear about the frustration and the pain of 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 losing potentially a fifth or a fourth team, but." These are the realities. Now Australia gets to work out whether or not it works. Um, Trans-Tasman has always been something that's been appealing, hasn't it? Um, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens post, and I know that I'm jumping ahead already, but I'm intrigued to see what happens post Rugby World Cup France because the idea that you might be able to introduce Japan to either a Super Rugby comp at the back or potentially the rugby championship is something that can't be missed and they really need to jump on that quickly. And those conversations have to start pretty much straight away to work out where, how are they going to be introduced into the rugby championship beyond the World Cup straight away. Yeah, yeah, certainly that keeps getting flagged, doesn't it? And uh, I think both NZR and, and Rugby Australia realise the importance of, of getting into Asia potentially before 
um, Europe does and, and God knows what the Six Nations might look at doing um, once they inevitably, as it looks to be the case, swallow up South Africa as well. Um, Liam, let's talk about the joint venture setup that this uh, competition is being governed by. Um, an alliance between New Zealand Rugby and Rugby Australia, uh, New Zealand Rugby's Head of Performance and High Performance and Professional Rugby, Chris Landrum, said yesterday, um, with Sansar being outsourced to help with some sort of administration throughout the competition. Um, that's a hell of a, I guess, not a, not a concession, but um, a walk back from where New Zealand rugby were this time last year when they said they wanted, were prepared to only admit two or three teams into a competition that would take on a trans-Tasman Pacific feel. We know the reaction that generated in Australia. Um, you mentioned the, the um, back and forth we've had over the Bledisloe in the last few weeks. Um, but what's this say, I guess, about the, the two nations' ability to work together? And this is, in fact, a, a joint venture, where it though that New Zealand rugby does retain seven of the, the 12 franchises. Um, just how do you see that, that make-up and, and what's been achieved here? Yeah, I guess in recent times there's been a lot of bad blood, hasn't there? You know, going back 12, 18 months. Um, and I think there's been, you know, a fair degree of, of change around the people who have handled that process as well. You know, Brent Impey was one of the the uh, the people that sparked, um, I guess, the, the major angst around the, the way in which New Zealand rugby handled their their change from or their desire to, to, to change Super Rugby from South Africa and Argentina and and the expression of interest uh, proposal that, um, you know, sparked a lot of outcry in, in terms of... The Went down like a lead balloon, I mean. Fair to say, yeah. And and uh, the rugby chat, the hosting of the rugby championship last year. So there's any number of events that you can uh, go back and chew over. Um, but look, I think New Zealand rugby does realise that they need need Australia. You know, they need e each other. And you know, I think this is a, a this competition is a reflection of that. They've they've gone back and forward about a number of different things. They've formed a joint venture, and you know, I think they are genuinely in bed. With each other, whether it's a 50-50 equal partnership, I'm not entirely sure, uh, but I think they do have a shared vision for, for the game in this part of the world when it comes to Super Rugby in particular, that they need to create those development pathways, that they need to uh, create those windows of opportunity for, as Christy mentioned, uh, to bring Japan in, in the future, that's a real sort of cash cow, you know, down the line, or, uh, you know, uh, with the, the, the uh, private equity sitting here, no doubt they're going to want to bring in a World Club Challenge. And, and I think that was one of the reasons behind the top eight finals as well, creating that three-week finals window further down the line. What that does do is it allows you to, to establish that window for a World Club Challenge down the line. So there's all sorts of things playing out behind closed doors and, and there has been a lot of bad blood between New Zealand and Australia in recent times. But I think this competition is a bit of a stake in the ground that they do have a shared vision, um, particularly for Super Rugby. And you can also see that with, you know, Moana Pacifica and the Fiji Enduro, you know, by all accounts, the Fijian team's not going to be able to base, be based in Fiji next year, given the COVID landscape there. So they're going to have to find a home in Australia. So, you know, Rugby Australia is going to have to work really closely with them. And Moana Pacifica is going to be based in Auckland and, and they have a desire to take games to Samoa and Tonga eventually, but that looks unlikely next year and, and New Zealand rugby's, you know, going to help them from a funding perspective and, and no doubt they're going to pick up a lot of New Zealand players. So, you know, each nation's doing their part to bring through these Pacific teams as well. And, and it's been something that everybody's been crying out for, for, for a number of years. 
Christy, uh, we know the Drua were part of the old National Rugby Championship and, and certainly a lot of Australians waiting for news on whether that tournament might be revived in the, the coming years at all. Uh, now they've stepped up to, to Super Rugby Pacific. Um, I know you're in contact with, with Simon Rawalui. How, how confident is he, do you think, at getting a, a side together? Um, basically, what, within five months, we've, we've got to, to get a squad of, say, 35 players together. Um, we know a lot of contracting will have already been done up in the north because that season's, you know, they're back into pre-season up there. I mean, how's the player market for both these teams? So equally, Moana Pacifica, which will probably draw more out of New Zealand. But um, Fiji, can they get some real, I guess, world-class guys back from uh, Europe? Or will this be a team, do you think, that is about uh, locals on the island coming through? Yeah, I think it will be a completely different model to what we saw with the Aguilaras where they were based, you know, they were encouraged. You're not going to be picked for the Argentinian team unless you come back. I think that would be completely different with Fiji, just in the sense that how much are these guys going to get paid um, if they were to do that? But as we all know, a lot of these contracts are set in stone, you know, one, two years in advance. So I think we'll see it used as to begin with, more of a development tool. But that, that doesn't mean that they're, they're not you know, any good, these players. We know that the, the Fijians just won the, the Olympic gold medal in, in Rugby Sevens. And, you know, we saw the adversity that they were placed under by being away from families for four or five months, you know, creating their own gym setups, um, not having any of the high-performance setups that Australia or New Zealand would experience. So I don't think you would want to underestimate them uh, I think by not being able to play home games would be a severe disadvantage. That would be difficult if they, if you know, an away team has to go up north and and you know the, the challenges of getting there and you know playing in humid, hot environments. So I imagine that they might try to um, base themselves up in Townsville, perhaps, and and that wouldn't be um, a good venue there for them. They've already had a bit of a taste of success there with uh, the Rugby Sevens Oceania tournament recently being played. Simon Rawalui's a, you know, you've got to say he's a world-class coach. So he did a good job with the Wallabies as forwards coach. He's he's taken on that. He's a very considered man. Uh, but they're still, they're starting from a long, long way back. Um, are they starting from as far back as the Waratahs? Maybe not though. Yes, uh, Darren Coleman officially back as Waratahs coach, held his first uh, media as coach yesterday, um, trying to organise some games for the end of the season, actually, perhaps against a, a Shoot Shield Select 15, with, of course, that competition um, being been for the year because of COVID. Uh, Liam, what, what are you hearing around the Moana Pacifica makeup uh, of their squad? Uh, we thought uh, Joshuani might have been a chance yesterday with news he was leaving the Highlanders, but uh, only 12 hours later it was confirmed he was on his way to the Chiefs to... To uh, replace uh, Damien will be an option for Damien McKenzie with DMAC heading off to Japan next year. Um, what's going to be, I guess, the look of their squad next year, do you think? Yeah, I think they're really up against it, to be honest. You know, you've, you've got six months now between, between now and the, and the start of the season. And, you know, I think um, more than anyone else, Moana Pacific has probably been hamstrung by uh, the delays in, in finalising the competition and, and the structure. And, you know, it, it's going to be a major, major challenge. They haven't announced their coaching staff. They haven't announced their, their playing roster. Um, my understanding, I only, I've only heard of a couple of signings. I think they're going to pick up um, the third-string Crusaders halfback, Arani Arana. And uh, um, I think Philo Tietia might be in the coaching mix. 
but uh, look, it's going to be a major challenge because, you know, you look at the strength and depth of the New Zealand teams and that's, you know, uh, when you look at the, the structure of the draw and um, uh, the yet-to-be-announced fixtures, uh, two of those three games are going to be derby matches. So, again, Moana Pacifica is going to have to play an extra two games against New Zealand teams. So, look, I think, you know, realistically, it, it could probably take two, three years for a, team, a startup team in New Zealand and on this basis to find their feet. Um, you know, they're, they're creating a new base, um, really starting from the ground up. So, um, you know, they're going to be selecting basically from the the offshoots of whoever the five New Zealand Super Rugby teams don't want. And, you know, perhaps a couple of, of others from, from Samoa and Tonga, or maybe they, they'll pick up a few European players who are looking to come home and in the pandemic situation. But, you know, those players coming home generally have to take major pay cuts. You know, there's a lot of money on the table up north and, and super rugby-wise in New Zealand, the top salary is $180,000. So it doesn't really compare favourably when you're, you know, um, doing the sums on the currency up north. So there's a, a lot of challenges um, to bring this team together. I think there's a lot of will and, and a lot of um, support from New Zealand rugby, but... Um, I think it could be a really tough year one for Moana Pacifica. I think I'll just jump in. I think what we might see as well from a Fijian perspective, you, you could well see the national um, coaches, those like Vern Cotter, Derek Gibson, step up and do a fair bit of the coaching there, potentially in the first year as well. Um, but they'll be there in the shadows and it'll be great for them leading into... We, we remember Eddie Jones, I think it was a year ago, with the well, less than a year ago, when the Rugby World Cup pools were were announced and Eddie Jones said that he thinks that if Fiji can get a super rugby team, they will be um, the dark horse at the 2023 World Cup. Um, that being because there's so much potential there, a lot of untapped potential too, that you know all they need is to get into super rugby. But it, it kind of almost has a little bit of how this has been. Um, it's not quite as late as when the Sunwolves uh, and, and the Haguaras were brought in, but we know how the Sunwolves were behind the eight ball from the outset because of how late the decision was to include them so that, they, you know, they didn't even have a team together with two months to go. You know, it was, and it was a bit of a joke, to be frankly honest, um, particularly given that there was already 15 teams in the competition, uh, 16 sides with the, with the Kings too. So that's the concern. Super Rugby has to put in a lot of resources to try to get them up because you can't afford to have when you've got two or three rugby sides in Australia, they're going to struggle. You can't afford them to have another two teams that are also going to struggle and be, you know, at the bootlaces of the, of this competition because New Zealand will be flying. Yeah, we know the difficulties that go with startup franchises in any sport they face. And um, recall Western Force in two thousand and six. I think they might have finished year one with a draw, and the Rebels um, struggled equally with a spare part squad. Basically, then in in twenty. Uh, 2012, 2011, whatever it was, 2011. Um, Christy, just Liam mentioned there the local derbies being a focal point of those extra three games that each team will play to get to those 14 um, games for each each outfit. Um, now, that's being having a focus on local derbies, which seems to sound like maybe there'll be two, um, two local derbies and, and one, say, uh, cross-border game um how important is that for rugby australia and for the australian teams to get that 
that extra derby, well, there's potentially two extra derbies in terms of their home gate revenue. I guess it allows the Waratahs to go and get um, the second game against the Reds or the Brumbies or Rebels. And we know that the Reds and Force are building a bit of a rivalry and Brumbies and Rebels have played some great games over the last few years. Um, how important to get that across the line? Yeah, I, I imagine that that was Rugby Australia pushing for it. Maybe Liam has some insight from across the ditch too. But um, important from that respect, but also just important for... Yeah, certainly for fan engagement. Uh, we know that Super Rugby AU was well supported, uh, better supported than than uh, the Trans-Tasman competition, at least in Australia, that was. But in addition to that, I think I think they'll be just ho- hoping that some some victories, really. And um, it's going to be tough against New Zealand next year. And we always know every every match against the, the Kiwis is tough. Um it's now whether or not you want some of the lesser Australian sides to beat some of the stronger Australian sides, or do you want your stronger Australian sides to be able to kick on so that they can actually press for a finals position? So uh, it would be interesting, fascinating to see how it all, all plays out. For sure. I can't wait next year. I think, you know, we've, we've all had our separate ideas around Super Rugby for the best part of the last decade and, and how it's fallen away. And I think um, for a long while we've, we've wondered, as we said earlier, what this, format could look like we finally got one so uh, roll on uh, 2022 and hopefully uh, less COVID out there that we can actually play these games in their right stadiums and eventually maybe in 2023 get to Fiji for what would be at a, just a huge occasion seeing that team play its first home game uh, in the islands. If you're enjoying this podcast swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia podcast network we're discussing the best stories on the sports you love with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. Boys, uh, let's move on now to Bledisloe number three, or the uh, the second game of the rugby championship between the Wallabies and All Blacks, with the Bledisloe, of course, being sorted for a 19th year. Um, I guess about 10 days ago now, uh, quite an extraordinary day um, of verbal exchanges and, and just uh, how the events unfolded to seeing that game in Perth uh, cancelled on on the 28th and eventually shifted till uh, the 4th of September, which is, of course, now this Sunday. Um, Liam, I guess just give us an explanation of your understanding of how things unfolded over in New Zealand um, because the reaction that came with New Zealand's withdrawal from that game in Australia was particularly uh, heated. Yeah, I guess understandably so on, on some fronts. It was very, you know, unfortunate and I guess uh, incredibly frustrating situation that, well, A, the test had already been moved once, so to move it for a second time and, and from a fan perspective, you know, you, you got every right. I heard uh, there was a an expat Kiwi living in Perth on the radio over here and uh, he was saying how he had a whole um, boatload of people organised and he's had to, you know, rearrange it a couple of times. So, you know, you get down to the, the fan level and you can completely understand the frustration of, of having to move a match twice, a sold-out match. Um, it's a big fixture. So I guess from a New Zealand rugby perspective, they um, they didn't go for a number of reasons. One of the major ones which got lost initially, I think, was the Argentina-South Africa situation around the, the quarantine. They were originally, you know, meant to go to Sydney. Then Sydney said, no, we're not going to have you. Perth uh, didn't want them either. And so uh, Andy Marinos was asking for more time to sort that situation in regards to the rugby championship. And as it happened, that I don't think that was sorted till the, till the Monday or Tuesday. So 
New Zealand, uh, the All Blacks didn't want to leave, not knowing where the rugby championship was going to be played and, and not knowing whether Australia, sorry, um, Argentina and South Africa would actually quarantine in Australia. So I think, I think that was a major part of the equation um, from my understanding anyway. And yeah, I guess the, the narrative uh, that was driven certainly by Andy Marinos was that there was no communication at all, that he was completely blindsided. And I think that was, uh, you know, probably one point which was um, not portrayed fairly. I think there was a Sanzar meeting on Thursday night uh, between all the all the CEOs, and then uh, my understanding was Mark Robinson and, and Marinos spoke twice on on Friday, and there was a pretty clear deadline. So um, I think it was was communicated, but um, it seems you know Wallabies coach Dave Rennie was told that. Uh, Nobody had, had from the All Blacks or New Zealand rugby had, had communicated that to Rugby Australia. So it certainly kicked off in a, in a big way. Um, so I can understand the frustrations with having to move the test and 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 the All Blacks being, I guess, portrayed as um, you know the bad guys once again and 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 whatnot. Um, but I think that the the lines of communication were there. Whether it was the right decision or not, you can you can debate that. But um, yeah, it was certainly a big fallout, and it's uh, it's great we're going to finally get to see bleed three this weekend. Great from a media perspective, anyway, because uh, we know that uh, public verbals go down really well out there, particularly when it comes to Trans Tasman relations. Christy, I guess in the end, Rugby Australia's point and, and Marinos um, Liam mentioned there was around that they weren't told that there was going to be a New Zealand media release, rather than actually being told, I guess that. Um, they weren't going to be coming. Uh, things kind of got lost and mixed around in there. Um, but certainly, I, I guess there's also a point in this about, you know, saving face and coming out and being strong uh, for the game in Australia and and, and proving that uh, you're not going to be walked all over, um, even if you haven't got the desired result, that uh, you're angry, you're upset, um, and you want to make a point about that. Yeah, bang on. I think there was a bit of that. That, that being said, uh, too, from my understanding, an email went out just before the official release, which was sent to the media manager who was at the time already on a phone call who, who can't just be juggling three things at once and then, you know, calling up Andy Marinos straight away going, sorry, Andy, I've actually just been given this email. Yes, they are going to be pulled out. There is going to be a release in a matter of minutes. Um, you know, these are all... It, it doesn't really matter in the end. I think, as you said, there was a bit of we're going to stand up for what we think New Zealand should have just trusted Australia to get the rugby championship across the line, number one. Um, but my, number two, there, there wasn't a particular um, compact. Like we, we, two things. We know that the Wallabies were effectively kissing away the Bledisloe Cup for a 19th straight year by playing two games back-to-back at Eden Park, a decision that New Zealand rugby asked Rugby Australia to bend over backwards to do because of New Zealand's own quarantine policy. Uh, so that was number one. But in addition to that, the Wallabies players, the Wallabies staff had been away, some of them since late May, the majority since the middle of June. So I think there was a bit of hang on a moment. We've already been away for the best part of three months. Um, look, I know it's another week that you would be taking a chance here, but we know that the rugby championship is either going to be played here in Australia or otherwise alternatively probably up in the UK and as a fallback in South Africa as, as a third uh, and final option, but one that would go through if necessary. So there was a little bit of going, 
hang on a moment, we've already done a, a lot of things for you. I know you're taking a chance, but we've got you. Just just trust us. Liam, what's been the reaction um, or what was the initial reaction, I guess, from the, the average New Zealander on the street to the All Blacks um, withdrawing from the, the game originally? Uh, Scotty Stevenson, Sumo Stevenson, um, Spark Sport, obviously was, was pretty brutal in his uh, synopsis of the situation on Twitter from memory. Um, I guess, well, how, how are they seen? Was it seen as, yeah, this is fair enough. These guys are going to be going away for a long time, of course, with the spring tour being tacked on the end of this and they're not coming home between the rugby championship and departing for Europe there. Um, or was it a bit of oh, self-entitlement? Um, these, here go the All Blacks again. What was the general feeling, I guess, from, from the man on the street? Yeah, I guess it was probably a bit of both. Initially, uh, surprise at the, at the decision uh, because, you know, the test was scheduled and I guess everyone just expected that to go ahead. Uh, so surprise would be the initial reaction that, that they weren't going. But I guess as the explanation came through and, and you know, they explained the fact they're going to be away for 15 weeks and there's a lot of moving parts in terms of uh, being away from families and, and um, where the players would travel straight away or whether they'll stay back as we've seen with with uh, you know three of the, the senior players not travelings um and and the and the situation in regards to Argentina South Africa. So I think there was a, a fair degree of understanding on the whole about the decision, but certainly initially, you know, quite quite a bit of surprise that um that they weren't going because just the general man on the street didn't um you know, you don't see, you don't know what's what's going on behind closed doors and, and you think the All Blacks are going to play a test and then they're not. So uh, I think that initially caught a lot of people by surprise. Yeah, I've just found it here from, from Sumo. Uh, New Zealand rugby forced Australia into two games at Eden Park purely for convenience and profit, a move that backfired. Now they won't honour their neighbours for a sold-out fixture in Australia. They have become a morally bankrupt organisation hiding behind player welfare, which is just horseshit. So... Um, quite strong there from Sumo. Uh, Christy, I, I guess in, in wrapping this up, um, now the situation faces we or presents itself. We get a game on Sunday. Um, it sounds like the, it's going to be a pretty close to full Optus Stadium. Sunday afternoon footy, which we know how popular those games were in New Zealand last year on a hard, fast, hopefully dry track over there in, in Perth. Um, a game that's going to take on a little bit of extra edge, you would think, because of what's happened off the field. Uh, on the flip side, it now means the Wallabies and, and All Blacks are going to be playing five tests in, in five weeks, um, which is which is akin to probably um, something you, you face only at, at World Cup time. Mm. Um, so it's going to be an incredibly taxing period for both of these squads. Um, I guess just your, your wash up of the scenario, is it all been put to bed now that the fact that we're, we're getting this game on Sunday or, or is there potentially a a little bit of uh, ill feeling there that remains between not only um, the two teams, but uh, the two boards as well. Well, if this was on the other way, on the other foot, I would think that New Zealand would be just, you know, they, they have enough motivation wearing an All Blacks jersey, but I think that they would use that motivation just to just to take them to another level. Wallaby sides in the past, you can't say that they've used motivation to the same extent or as well. Whether or not they can do that this week, I'm, I'm not so sure either. But that they should be. And, and, and Dave Rennie was trying his best last Friday, I think it was, or Thursday, when, when there was a, a media opportunity with him and, and he tried to hose that down by saying, you know, 
you know, there's not going to be a huge amount of motivation that you can draw from those sorts of things, but there has to be when you're, when your coach goes into bat for you and says he's bloody angry um, and, you know, gets headlines across the country. I think what's most fascinating now is the fact that as a result, a couple of the Wallabies have had to go, they've gone back to Queensland due to the, um, the imminent birth of their children. Um, but also across the ditch, you know, New Zealand's not having Sam Whitelock, um, Richie Mawanga and Aaron Smith there. Like they're the three probably biggest plays that you could say that if you wanted to take out three, you'd take out those three. The halves, particularly Aaron Smith, is just such a general and has caused so much pain for this side. So that's the really fascinating aspect. And I know that Rennie, having coached Brad Weber previously, thinks that Brad Webb is a, a stronger option than TJ Perinara, but given Perinara and Barrett's relationship um, combination over the years, you'd imagine those two might get the nod um, at nine and 10. So there's a lot going on. I, I'm actually most interested now by what's going to happen on the footy field because this rugby championship is important for the Wallabies. It's another opportunity for Australia like, to host for the second straight year in a time, in basically an entire tournament on your home soil, in front of your own fans, this is a, a great opportunity. So they really need to make a statement, not just for for a little bit of success in the rugby championship, but you know, the, the wider ramifications of what this can do to a, to a nation that is hoping to still win the Rugby World Cup bid in 2027, um, and a Lions series on the you know on the horizon too, only four years away. So there's a lot lot at play. Yeah, two o'clock kickoff local in Perth, four uh, on Eastern Australia, and uh, six across, of course, in New Zealand. Liam, uh, Christy mentioned the, the emissions there and, and potentially uh, who might come in. Um, how do you see that decision going at number nine? You've got Brad Weber, who relies so much on his sniping and his speed, and he's got a pretty sound delivery as well. Might not perhaps be at Aaron Smith's level, but but who is uh, TJ? is a little bit more combative. We'll get in and get on the ball. Um, likes a bit of niggle. One of the great support runners in the game. Um, is he? Where do you see that decision going? And uh, I guess at lock equally, does that is Scott Barrett a, a straight swap for, for Sam Whitelock there in the in the second row? Yeah, it's intriguing, isn't it? At nine, and <clears throat> it's not just this test either for the All Blacks. It'll be the at least the next three. So the All Blacks have the Wallabies this weekend, and then two tests against the Pumas, and uh, Aaron Smith, Sam Whitelock, and Richard Mwanga are definitely going to be missing for for those three because of the Queensland's quarantine situation, uh, travelling from New Zealand, you have to go into hotel isolation for two weeks, and then you're probably going to need another week after that, realistically, to get up to speed for Test Rugby from a conditioning point of view. So it's a big opportunity for Bowden Barrett at 10. They've only got Damien McKenzie as as the secondary 10 option, so massive chance for Bowden after coming back from Japan. You know, he's been, you know, uh, only had one start at 10 and only... Uh, I think it's three in the past two years for the All Blacks at number 10. So to have three tests in a row, big chance for him. Uh, and equally at nine, you know, Brad Webber's been a guy that's been in and around the squad. Uh, he's only had one test start against Tonga in the, in the 102 nil route. So, you know, you can't take too much out of that in his 10 tests. So he'd be jumping out of his skin. Personally, I'd like to see him start. You know, you mentioned there's his speed to the base, you know, reasonably crisp delivery. And his up-tempo style, I think, you know, if you're looking for a, a like-for-like replacement for Smith, it's not Weber, but it's he's the closest you're going to get. Um, but I can see them going with Piranara. Um, he's more experienced. 
And, you know, they pulled a bit of a surprise by putting TJ on the bench over Weber for the last letters low at Eden Park. And as Christy mentioned, he does have that relationship with uh, Bowden and then he could potentially bring Weber off the bench and up the pace. So, yeah, really intriguing selection at nine. And, and I think you're right. I think they'll go Scott Barrett straight into the second row. He's been coming off the bench uh, recently. And then you can bring Patrick Tupolotu onto the bench and he's a fairly sizable presence to inject later in the match. But, yeah, I, I think this is a massive test for the Wallabies. You know, I think Christy's right. You know, this, this uh, you know, you've got a sold-out test at home. You've just come off a, you know, really disappointing uh, result at Eden Park. This is a chance to set up the tournament. The All Blacks are potentially vulnerable. You know, Sam Whitelock not having that leadership there is huge. His influence over the All Blacks in recent times with Sam Kane not there has been massive. So I think he's a really, really big loss. And it's a big test for Artie Sevier to come in and be captain for the first time. We saw Aaron Smith captain the All Blacks at, uh, for the first time in Dunedin against Fiji this year, and that didn't really go that well. So, you know, a new captain, um, three of the best performing All Blacks missing this year. I know the Wallabies got a couple out, but I think this is, you know, a really big test for the Wallabies and, and a big chance to make a statement. Sam, a question for you. Um, I'm going to take over the, the hosting duties just for a moment, but... What, what what does Dave Rennie do around his midfield setup now that Hunter Posami, who's been a lock there ever since bursting on the scene last year, no Hunter Posami, does he stick with the out of form Matt Tumua? And does he bring in a brand new centres combination? Therefore, with Samu Karevi perhaps being one, maybe Lenny Ikatau the other, and that, is this last chance for Quade Cooper? I wrote about that for Friday for the paper on the Saturday. Um, I can't see him starting, um, but I, I think it's an intriguing. If you if you've brought him in, what else have you brought him in? Just to make up the numbers, because we know that Quade Cooper doesn't like just sitting in the back seat. Christy, I'll start with Matt Tamua. No, I think he's horribly out of form, and I think that was evidence for the Melbourne Rebels in the back end of, of Super Rugby uh, Trans Tasman. Um, he'd been throwing those cutout balls all year, and often to, to no avail. We know how fraught with danger they can be. Um, and he was responsible for one of those three intercepts in into uh, tests across there at Eden Park, which had every Wallabies fan in Australia pulling their hair out. Um, I, I'd be tempted to drop Tamil completely out of the 23, and perhaps that does open the opportunity for Quade Cooper to earn a bench spot. Um, it's interesting, Liam, talking there about Scott Barrett um, and Artie Sevilla, and then you think about Samu Karevi, and when you think back to that 2019 test, in Perth, they're kind of the chief antagonists of that match. You've got Scott Barrett red carded for that shoulder charge into the head of Michael Hooper. You've got Artie Sevilla with his um, batting Michael head, Michael Hooper's uh, head down into the ground there and was penalised. And then you've got Semu Karevi having just one of the great games, uh, a Wallaby centre of the past couple of decades, running over the top of Bowden Barrett down that wing and, and finding that ball back on the inside to Nick White to score that fantastic try. You've got some of the big figures from that game and they're all suddenly going to be in the in the spotlight come Sunday, which is an exciting thing to to think about. Um, I think we've all, you know, we, we were sorry to see Karevi go to Japan, um, given the circumstances. We can understand why he did it, um, to, to capitalise on, on the riches over there. Um, but he really kind of just established himself in that Wallabies midfield um, and setting himself up for a, for a long run uh, in, in the centres there. So I, I'd be really, really tempted to go with Karevi at 12 and Ikitao at 13, 
Um, it, it shows you keep that left-footed kicking option in the back line, um, which we saw was was valuable at times over there in New Zealand. Um, I, I was big on Igatau throughout Super Rugby AU in particular. I thought he, you know, he deserves a, another crack and, and should get it this weekend. Um, there's obviously some decisions to be made around the second row, I think, as well. You'll probably see Isaac Rodder come in for his first test of the year. Um, Darcy Swain certainly found the, the going a little bit tougher against the All Blacks than he did France when he made such a, an impact in his first couple of tests there. The back row balance is another one. Harry Wilson has been disappointing. Um, thought Rob Valentini looked pretty good at eight there in the first half. Lockie Swinton, again, um, pretty disappointing, was guilty of one of the turnovers that led to an All Blacks try. Um, so who do you look at there? Is it, you know, going back to that balance of, of Wilson, of, of Aiden, and Valentini at six and really putting the heat on Harry. Um, do you give Izzy Nicerani and play a really big back row? Potentially not the way to go, given it could be a hard and fast, dry track. Um, so there's any number of possibilities there to consider. Um, but certainly, yeah, Samu Krevi for me um, has got to start this weekend. How we go back to me hosting from there. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the careful, Christy. Um, let me see what else I've got here. On the notes, uh, how much, I guess, let's go back to Artie, Liam. Um, he said yesterday, or sorry, on the weekend, that he wouldn't be changing the way he plays um, now that he's captain. Um, I mentioned the little incident with Hooper. It was incredibly minor, but just one of those things that can often be a be a turning point in games of, of Test Rugby. Um, we know he's, he's captain the, the Hurricanes uh, a bit over the last few years. Um, is he ready for this step up? Is he the right choice? Would you potentially have gone for someone like a, a Cody Taylor, who was the other name being thrown about. I do like the mix that they've got with uh, Bowden Barrett and, and Brody Retallick. I think, uh, you know, you've got boards in the backs covered. You've got, you know, some really experienced, respected figures. You know, Artie's a guy who's really well liked within the group. So I think it would have been quite a popular choice, which, which helps bring a team together, particularly when you're going away on tour for such a long time. So look, I think they got it. Right from that perspective, uh, you know, I know there was a lot of surprise over here, particularly in, in Canterbury and in Angst, that, that Cody Taylor wasn't certainly at least in the mix as a, as a vice captain. And, you know, I can understand that. He, he's done the job for them down there and and, and whatnot. But, look, I think they have got it right. But um, Adi is uh, it's an interesting call because Adi is, is quite a new captain, even from a Hurricanes perspective. He's only done that in recent times, you know, uh, Dane Coles and, and TJ Pettinara have, have probably done that. And I don't think he needs to change the, change the way he plays, but it is, there's so much more to consider as a captain. It's not just a matter of, you know, the big calls about whether they take a shot for goal or, or for touch. It's your interactions with the referee. It's building that rapport. It's having a feel for the game. You know, you can't just worry about what you're doing. You've got to have a real finger on the pulse and, and you know, sense when when the opportunity is there to, to really ram it home or, or slow it slow the game down and you know you've got to have a real feel for the game real feel for the referee um so it's going to be interesting to see uh i think from performance perspective that'll it'll lift Artie up and really bring out the best in him uh but the captaincy is another another degree of of things to think about so it's going to be fascinating to see how he handles that responsibility and you know I think captaincy is something you get better at over time. So for your first um, captaincy dig, it is, it's, it's a challenging hostile, it's going to be a challenging hostile environment. You're missing several big name players. 
you know, it's a sold out fest. Um, you know, there's a lot of challenges facing the All Blacks this week. So it's a big, big test for the All Blacks and for Artie Sevier. Yeah, and we, and we forget, you know, no Sam Kane there either. Sam Kane is such a calm uh, figure there in the back row that with, without him, and, and we've already mentioned Sam Whitelock, but it starts to erode some of that real leadership where you look around and, and those calm heads. What might happen if there gets another situation like what Michael Hooper got presented with early in the second half? Do you do you point to the post or do you, you know, go to the sideline? Do you have... Do you have Artie Sevilla, who's as shrewd and smart and cunning as Sam Whitelock was when he was talking to, to the referee, you know, asking various things to Brendan Pickerel around, you know, this is why we're getting clean beyond the rack is because, you know, they're offside or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, it'll, it will be fascinating because he hasn't got a huge amount of captaincy experience underneath his belt there. Righto, boys, before we wrap up, we better get some tips there. Christy, obviously, there's there's a lot more things going in the Wallabies' favour this time around. Um, you mentioned that you can park the Bledisloe and you can put that out of mind. This is effectively a rugby championship test. It's it's an opportunity to, you know, um, close the gap in the ladder that's that's already there after losing the first game and, and set the rest set the rest of the tournament up with with four games to come on on home soil. Can they get the job done this weekend, the Wallabies? History actually probably tells you that they can. 2017 uh, with Sean McMahon and Jack Dempsey in the back row playing Stormers, um, that they won. We know that 2020 they won too. Reese Hodge starting at 10. Um, can it happen again in front of a, a sold-out crowd? My head says... Uh, I, I don't think they can. I don't think a bit at the moment, clearly. I still don't think they can, but... But I think it will be the closest of the three, and so it should be when the, the tables are turned um, and they will have the extra motivation. So it wouldn't surprise me if they win. History says, says they can. For the fact that Liam will say that the All Blacks will win, I'll say that, yes, Australia will win this one. Over to you, Liam. Yeah, or, or will I? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I think Blues Low 3 is always a – well, not always, but in these situations last year was – Evident, it's a danger game for the All Blacks. You know, if there's ever a time you're going to be complacent, it's when you've locked away the blitters low. And I think the All Blacks got it wrong last year, making mass changes, and and they really got bit in the butt for that. Uh, I think you know you'll probably see a few less changes this week because of that. Um, you've already missing those three guys that we've, we've touched on, um, but I also think you know the adversity that they're facing and and the backdrop in terms of going over there and and being hated for want of a better word or walking into a hostile environment. You know, I think that will probably help the All Blacks and, you know, the fact they're missing these three guys and others having to stand up, you know, it's a different complexion. Um, I think that, you know, that element will, will make them raise their game. So I think Christy's right. I think this will be the closest of the three test matches. I expect the Wallabies to, to come out really hissing and, you know, really want to make a statement but um, there's still a lot of inexperience across that Wallabies team and, and they don't have a lot of settled combinations you know Sam you talked about all the selection decisions there so um, you know they're going to need a massive performance but um, I do have concerns for the All Blacks as well so maybe the ABs by seven. Very good. I'll throw the Wallabies by three. I'm predicting a really close encounter, but if I'm being honest, I'd just be happy if there's not an intercept thrown by the Australians come Sunday. 
Uh, boys, thanks for getting together again this week. Obviously, been a, a heap happening um, on both sides of the Tasman. I think we're we're all excited uh, given we're in lockdown. We've got some footy again to watch this weekend, and then roll on four more weeks of the rugby championship double headers uh, between the Gold Coast, Brisbane, uh, the historic uh, All Black Springboks test set for Townsville. Bank of uh, Queensland Country Bank Stadium up there. I uh, hope the place is rocking for that. And then, of course, finishing off on the Goldie once again. Um, sure, we'll be chatting right through that and uh, enjoy the game on Sunday.